As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Falling Forward with Dan Lassac. I'm Dan Lassac. That's me. Uh, but this is a different Dan Lassac. This is Dan Lassac from 2023, jumping back in to replace, to eradicate the original intro and switch it out for this one through the magic of science. This week's guest is Abigail Thorne, uh, the philosopher, YouTuber and actress, um, who is someone who, through her work, has played a big part in just opening my mind, making me a better person, essentially, alongside a huge list of other content creators, Lindsay Ellis, ContraPoints, Stephanie Sterling, H Bomber Guy, Sean, Renegade Cut, Induendo Studios. Off the top of my head, there's more. There's more. There's definitely, there's always more. And the reason I recorded this originally was because I wanted more people to hear Abigail's work. Um, not that she needed it. She didn't need my help on my four subscriber podcast. But you know what? All good press is good press, I think is the expression. But since recording this, Abigail has transitioned. And I just recently became aware that this podcast was just sitting there out in the world with the wrong name and the wrong pronouns. And I personally felt uncomfortable with that. I don't honestly think it's a huge issue. Philosophy Tube's catalogue uh, runs way back. And that's still up. So it's not like anyone's banging down my door trying to set fire to my podcast equipment. Not that I have any. But just for me, I felt like it was the right thing to do. And I did run it past Abigail and she was fine with me making the update. So, yeah, it just felt right. And I don't know, sometimes you just should do what feels right. Although that is also what I say when faced with rice pudding. So I'm a shallow man. Um, I digress. Oh, I should have did the I digest joke. That would have worked so well there. But anyway, yeah. Also, <laughs> I wish I could keep myself on track. 
Also, I just wanted to update the intro to make sure it acted as a uh, warning, I suppose. Warning seems like heart, too strong a word, but just to make sure that someone coming onto this podcast, finding it through searching Philosophy Tube or Abigail Thorne, then isn't blindsided by the fact it was recorded in the past and will be me using the wrong pronouns, etc. throughout. You know, I don't want to mislead anyone, don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but it's a good chat, it's still informative, it's still interesting to listen to, I hope. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I hope that covers it. This is the 95th take of this. I've been trying to formulate how to say this for a day. So hopefully I've nailed it and uh, I can move on with my day, which is going to involve probably playing video games or like I've, there's these things. They're like little stacks of paper glued together at one end called books. Um, and I've been getting into those lately. I mean, yeah, they have words inside and they, they kind of, it's a really interesting technique, actually. They put the words in, in like an order that makes you have like ideas and images in your mind. And they, they use that to tell like a story. So it's kind of like an analog Netflix in a way. But yeah, no, anyway. Hopefully you enjoy the chat. Hopefully you enjoy the show. One day I'll, I'll do an episode to explain why this all ended. Uh, but I don't even know if anyone will hear this. So yeah, enjoy. <laughs> Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
dress up and have silly costumes uh, and uh, generally try and have fun with it. I hit, I hit record on dress up and wear funny costumes, so it's perfect. <laughs> it's, it's ideal. Um, YouTube. Mm -hmm. That's probably the best place to start. <laughs> You've built a, a massive, what, 320-odd video repository of free philosophy education on YouTube. Yeah, something like that, yeah. So what was the... Obviously, you started while you were still doing your BA. Still doing... I was doing my MA. I did a four-year MA in Scotland. So you go in at undergrad, you do four okay. years, and you come out with an MA. And I started the channel in my second year of uni. In Scotland, you go in at 18, you do four years on the trot, and you come out with an MA. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So, you so I didn't even do a BA first, I just went straight into the... Oh, you just went, oh, boom, yeah, straight, straight in. in. Okay, because it's sort of similar. My photography degree was a HND, mm -hmm. but then you do a third year as a top-up to right, yeah. make it a BA. Yeah. Honours. Yeah. BA honours. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why we have to say the honours yeah. like that. Do one. we? Bugger. <laughs> we should. We should make it. Whoops. I think it makes us sound more special. Okay. <laughs> People think that's actually more than an MA. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, level yeah. two MA. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh my God. Do you I do have a regular MA as well in acting, but I got that after. Yeah. So two two degrees. Yeah. Show yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> you people, you people with education. Didn't, I just didn't get it right first time. <laughs> I've done all this work, but I want to I act now. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so what was the inspiration behind starting it? Obviously, you like philosophy. Yeah. That, that's a given. Yeah. You're not um, going to spend five years doing something you hate. Yeah. Oh, wait, we've all done that. Yeah, we've all done that, yeah. Um, I... I was in the last year to pay the old tuition fees before the government tripled them. Yeah. Um, and when they did triple them, I thought that was really unfair. And uh, I was also doing stand-up comedy at the time, and a girlfriend at the time said, uh, you should do a YouTube channel for your stand-up. And I didn't think that was going to work, but I liked the idea of doing a YouTube channel, and I liked the idea of making philosophy free. And so I just looked on YouTube, and there was nobody really making philosophy content. There was an old animated series called Three Minute Philosophy, and there were one or two recordings of lectures um, and I thought, okay, I'll make a YouTube channel where I just give away philosophy for free because education should be free. And uh, I was originally just going to film my lectures and put them up there. Mm. And the university said, no, you can't do that. So <laughs> I thought, okay, well, I'll just summarize what I've learned and film myself in my bedroom talking about it. And by the end of day one, I had 100 subscribers. By the time I left university, I had 10,000. And uh, since then, it's absolutely ballooned. Now it's got almost 350,000 subscribers and it pays all my bills and it's my job. Because you find that via Patreon. Yeah, I do. Patreon, yeah. uh, if your if you're viewers or listeners don't know, uh, Patreon is a crowdfunding website where if a creator has a page, you can give them like one or two dollars a month and that all goes in to them help make whatever they make. And yeah, my, my Patreon's now uh, enough for me to like pay rent and live and make the show full time. But they're going to know what it is by the time we get yeah, to this yeah, cast, because yeah. I'm going to be going, oh, yeah, by the way, guys. Oh, uh, so you've got one that's brilliant. Check, yeah. out, check out my Patreon. Yeah. I, I've actually got a Patreon now, but only for people who don't want to give Amazon money. Yeah. So, because I stream on Twitch. On Twitch, yeah. And just a few people would come in and be like, rah, 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 Amazon. Rah. Yeah. And I was like, I'll just put it up. That's a good idea to have like multiple options, yeah. And uh, I didn't expect anyone to use it at all, mm -hmm. but it confuses me because... Mm -hmm. It's free. You don't have to use this. You don't have to give me any money. Like yeah. the, nothing I've produced in the last five years, you have to pay for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the generosity of, of strangers on Patreon is absolutely um, like incredible, unbelievable. I cannot like I, with this flat that we're sitting in now. Mm. My rent is crowdfunded, and yeah. I cannot believe that strangers would do that. Um, but they do, and it's incredible. I think if you're putting something into the world that couldn't exist without it, 
I don't know. I, I give money on Patreon to people. Jim Sterling. Oh, Jim. Oh, yes. I love Jim's work. I, I give him a, a whopping dollar. Nice, month. nice. But he's making a lot of money from Patreon. It's yeah, like I think he's in Patreon's top 50. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, my dollar is not making a difference mm-hmm. in the sense, like, he, he's not noticing my dollar yeah. on a given month. So I don't have to give him that. Mm-hmm. But it's that thing of, well, if I give him a dollar, yeah. and that means somebody else who can't give him a dollar, they're represented in some way. Yeah. It's also almost yeah. like I'm joining in yeah. because I know he doesn't need it from me, but... Mm-hmm. He does need it in general. He needs it in general, so why not? Yeah, you know? that's really good. And if, obviously, from his point of view, if everything changed and he couldn't work for six mm-hmm. months, he's built up there. You know. Mm-hmm. He's in America, so healthcare. Yeah, what, definitely, what, yeah. What the hell? And he's a professional wrestler now as well, so he's, <laughs> he's got a few health risks to his career. <laughs> so it came from that place of trying to give something, like we've just talked about with Patreon. Yeah. Like, give something to people who might not get to it. Definitely, yeah. That was how it started, yeah. What you're doing is like opening a door to people. I try to make it like that, yeah, yeah. Which is it's fascinating, as well as it's a door that doesn't get opened as often, you know? Yeah, philosophy is already like pretty obscure. A lot of it's quite arcane. and It has this, this rap as, um, as being like uh, really not relevant to people's everyday lives, which I think is pretty harmful because it means that they don't recognise bad philosophy Mm. as philosophy they just think it's like ideas or truth and there's a lot of bad philosophy out there and that's what kind of my show has more recently done in the last couple of years is like try and find bad philosophy and inoculate people against it um but then if you if you aren't aware that philosophy can be like life and death relevant and really good and good for you then then you're not going to be able to deal with the bad stuff when it comes your way and and that's what i try and do now is like say hey like philosophy is not just this curiosity that you can go to university and learn if you've got a lot of time and money it's like actually relevant to your everyday life right now Mm. well like to me philosophy is a way of processing the world and we've got a lot to process right Mm. now you know politically socially yeah 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 you don't know i mean it's great are we allowed to swear oh fuck yeah oh cool it's philosophy is like gives you a great bullshit detector yeah 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 which Living in the environment of YouTube is something that someone <laughs> needs. Yeah. If you watch a lot of YouTube, you're going to need a good bullshit detector. Oh my, oh my. But that, that's the thing. This is one of the interesting things about it. Like uh, the medium of YouTube, how much does that actually speak to how you approach things? So for if we use like the anti-feminist movement on YouTube, the mm-hmm. the anti-Anita movement, let's just call it what it is. Yeah, yeah. So that's um, actually, yeah, that's very, very well put. Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean you pay more attention to balance? Because you just recently mm-hmm. released a Brexit-related video. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you try to give ideas a fairer shake because you don't want to be pushed into that dishonest corner that the anti-feminists like to sit in? Um, uh, or do yes. you just, are you just naturally... I mean, yes and no. The, the Brexit video in, in particular, um, maybe we should say for your, your listeners who aren't familiar yeah. with my content, I'm not in that anti-feminist bit of YouTube. I'm very much in, in what's uh, come to be known as left tube um, <laughs> or bread tube, for those of you who've, who've read uh, Kropotkin. But um, yeah, I, the Brexit video, my, I, I, with every project, I like to challenge myself. And the challenge for the Brexit video was be as even-handed as I possibly can. And um, the ways in which I failed to do that and the ways in which I ultimately discovered that was impossible very much informed the structure of, of the video and what way I went with it. 
Um, but I do, <laughs> my critics would tell you that I am incredibly biased and never give any other points of view. <laughs> I do try, I try very hard. Um, but yeah, some, sometimes I, I fail and, and it doesn't always work out, but um, I, I do try to. But mainly the ways in which the environment of YouTube and the medium affects what I do will be things like um, how I will title the video, mm. things like thumbnails, metadata, uh, how I write a script. So I, I've gotten a feel over the last few years of like how long a YouTube video can be and how many turns there can be in a script before it gets unwieldy and how many like changes of location or aesthetic or music or whatever it needs to keep people's attention going. You've actually, you've done a video about this very subject, actually, the, um, uh, you're in a... Is it YouTube art or reality? The interrogation? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the... where, where you're talking about having to do multiple takes, but you're still being honest after yeah. the eighth take. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, how to shape how you talk to the audience. And it's mm. really, it's actually really fascinating to, mm. I think people forget that people have to do multiple takes to yeah. express... The thing in their head. Yeah, I do. I do get comments from people sometimes saying, uh, "How are you always so positive on on your videos? How are you always in such like a, a an upbeat mood or whatever?" And I say, "Well, you know, remember that what you see of me is always edited. Mm. Even when I'm doing live stuff like live streaming, which I do a fair bit, um, it's not a performance, but I'm, it's kind of some of the dials are slightly turned up. I'm a little bit more on it when I'm performing live." Um, as I will be, listeners, right now, <laughs> um, will be slightly more on it than I am in my day-to-day -day life. Um, but yeah, I do get a lot of people who 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 look like through it as if it's a window, and then don't realise that, that that it is a window, and, and like there's a bit of stained glass in there that changes yeah. what you see. They call it the parasocial effect, right? The have parasocial you, effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you are you familiar with this? Um, only through hearing you say the word. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the parasocial effect, I think I'm getting this right, um, was really drawn to my attention by another YouTuber called Shannon Strucci who did a great series on it. It's where you form a one-sided social relationship with uh, somebody whose media that you consume. Uh, the typical example that people use nowadays is a YouTuber where you get you watch a YouTuber's videos and you get to feel like you know them and that they're your mm -hmm. friend and you've got a social relationship with them. Um, but you don't really. It's the one-sided thing. Um, and you're not really engaging with uh, a, quotes, real person because you're engaging with a, a, a constructed, edited version of them. That's the theory anyway. The critics of parasocial relationships will often say things like, that can be very exploitative. That can uh, involve YouTubers having, like, encouraging that sort of a relationship in order to get money or attention from their fans. The video that I made, YouTube Art or Reality, is very much an interrogation of the idea. Is it always exploitative? Is it always one-sided? Because I know that fan interactions have meant a huge amount to me over the last few years. And uh, are there some positives to be said for it as well? And is it the case that if you have a parasocial relationship with somebody that that's necessarily not true? And the relationship between art and truth and all that kind of mm. good stuff. So. Um, I, I talk about this a lot on Twitch when, I, when it comes to the exploitation side. Because mm -hmm. Twitch is still parasocial, but it's live. So mm -hmm. there is a little more direct interaction yeah. there. It's more of a two-way street, mm -hmm. but because it's that instant reaction, a streamer can can use bait just to create that and foster an environment where someone might give you cash. Mm -hmm. And it is is one of the sort of pitfalls of the these new models that they're relying on the yeah. kindness of strangers model. Mm -hmm. If you have a really bad day and you're like upset on stream, and then someone gives you. 50 quid, mm -hmm. 
it's like, oh, I should have more upset days because that 50 quid is, is what <laughs> I needed to earn today. Mm. But at the same time, because I'm talking about it, I, I could be like a double layer of talking about it, acting like it's a yeah. bad thing, but trying to, oh, God. What Slavoj Žižek called disavowal, right? I had a, <laughs> I had a, whole, had a whole video about this very thing. And, uh, and Elon Musk... Um, <laughs> it's just called Elon Musk, and it's about like disavowing it's bad things. Hands, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you're washing your hands of it, but really the washing your hands is central to doing it, and mm. um, it's part of the whole process of doing it anyway. So yeah, yeah. Um, are we are we just disavowing parasocial relationships by talking about them, and really we're both going to be paying the bills with them? <laughs> I do find it really fascinating when you, if someone's critical of Elon Musk, and then these all these voices coming in to defend Elon Musk, like. Mm. It's really odd, like, people feel like their online personality has this ability to to not only change someone's mind, but entirely shut them up about mm-hmm. it, which yeah. is really odd. Because, mm-hmm. like, you don't do it with other things in life. Like, if, if you're talking about a pizza you like, someone's going to say, I like this kind of pizza. Yeah. It's never, you're wrong. Yeah. Whereas as soon as we get into humans mm-hmm. and we have that more... Or things that, are, that appear human anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Elon Musk does. Well, well, you know, <laughs> parasocial characters in general, yeah. but yes, Elon Musk. <laughs> but um, as soon as it gets on that layer where it might be a more emotional thing, yeah. we then defend it. Like people, mm. like people get very defensive if you're critical of something yeah. they like. This is why like, when, like corporate Twitter accounts like Wendy's and Burger King and so on oh tweet as God. if they are people. And try and like be relatable and, and be like, oh, that was that was it Sunny D a while ago who tweeted, Oh, I'm really depressed today. Yeah. And he got like tens of thousands of retweets. That's that's why this is exactly what H Bomber guy was talking about in his video on woke brands. Um it's so, why, why corporations try and appear human for exactly that reason. Arby's the American burger chain. Yeah. Are really lean into gaming. But it's really strange because when they just sit on the line of like awareness and like what what uh, what javelin are you gonna main for anthem or yeah. whatever. It's fine. It's just them linking to a thing mm-hmm. that might be popular. But it's when they go that little bit further and it's like, we know you're a brand. You don't yeah. need to go that much further. Yeah. Arby's actually do some amazing art on mm-hmm. there. So they do, um, if anyone posts like a draw this in your own style Instagram, yeah. Yeah. Arby's will do it. Huh. But they'll do it out of food. <laughs> so it'll, someone will draw this great illustration and they've got someone who makes these great versions out of food <laughs> and that to me is already marketing enough they yeah. don't need to then do the the mm. pretend you know yeah. they don't need to hashtag do the relatable yeah yeah <laughs> you, you just make something interesting uh-huh. you know? but this is the world like people are just constantly going to be trying to get noticed mm-hmm. that's something i've come up with with the music thing the cycle, the loop of getting music into the world and how long you have to get anyone's attention before they've moved on, mm-hmm. that seems to be shrinking and shrinking. I think it's partially because of the yeah. timeline natures of things like Twitter and stuff yeah. where it's, it's gone from the feed. Yeah, once it's, once it's been out a week, it's kind of done, yeah. <clears throat> Whereas when it was more print press, you know, mm-hmm. you had a long lead print yeah. press, so you'd be your album review would appear a few weeks before mm-hmm. and it would sit in that magazine it would do you know what I mean it was just a it was a simpler time Ollie <laughs> it was a simpler time well on the creative thing with YouTube obviously you started in a room yeah in my bedroom in your bedroom clean shaven <laughs> eight years old 
<laughs> I was uh, I made my first video when I was uh, when I was twenty. I've been doing this my entire twenties now. You would get ID'd, guaranteed. Oh yeah, I did. I used to. Yeah, always. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way I'm serving you. Mm, yeah. Um, there, talking head to yeah. camera mm -hmm. to now, mm -hmm. where you are. We haven't mentioned it, but you're an actor. Yeah. You, we have mentioned that you, you've got a degree, MA. Yeah, acting. MA in acting. I'm, which yeah, is, in my other life, I'm a professional actor here in Which London, is yeah. why you're down here from Newcastle. Yes, from Newcastle. North, yeah. We're going to leap loop back to Newcastle. Cool. But, because um, you went to East 17? I went to East 15 acting East school 15. In, in London. East yeah, 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay another day. <laughs> uh, oh, Brian. <laughs> So growing up in Essex, Brian, Brian Harvey was an important influence on all our lives. <laughs> no Essex boy can, can live without the image of Brian Harvey <laughs> in his head. Um, but to go from there to now, these are produced fully. Yep. Uh, there's lighting, there's camera angles. Yep. There's costumes, costumes, characters, a lot of theatre. So the YouTube art or reality video was, um, for your listeners who haven't seen it, the whole thing was framed as me being interrogated by two police officers, and it was very played much by you, played by me as well, uh, which was very much inspired by the Martin McDonough play, The Pillow Man. Uh, my Brexit video was like half a video about Brexit and democracy, and half a review of the sci-fi film Arrival, and it keeps cutting between the two. And then towards the end, you realise why that's happened. The you did one with about Steve Bannon, yeah, Steve which Bannon, which is really nice because of I really like the. Uh... The posh character. The like, arsonist. The yeah, arsonist. Yeah, I like, just yeah. like the subtlety of gradually... Mm -hmm. I don't want to actually spoil that video, but... I think I just have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's intercut with a dramatic monologue that I wrote of this character. So as I'm explaining Steve Bannon and his ideas and how they work, it keeps cutting to this character who talks directly to the audience, and you don't immediately see what he's doing or why it's relevant, but over the course of the video, you gradually realise where, mm. where he's leading you to. Um, and people really responded well to that. That was actually a, a change that I made to that video last minute. Originally, the hot video was going to be just one big video, and then the the monologue from that character was just going to come right at the end. Mm. And the day before filming, I decided, no, no, it would be much better if I chopped it up and, and seeded it throughout the video so there's, like, this mystery of who is this man and why yeah. are we suddenly talking about something else? And it kind of keeps you engaged, and then you then the then the twist comes and you realise what he is. Those last-minute changes are, can make or break a thing. Yeah, you know, it's um, wonderful. The movie Bronson... Mm -hmm didn't have the uh, Tom Hardy to camera bits at all no. until the very last minute. Whoa. Sometimes creativity is something you can plan for, but sometimes it's that last minute, hang on, does yeah. this work better? Yeah. And you stumble and mm -hmm. that's why the podcast is called Falling Forward. Look at that. <laughs> Just end there. Nice. Um, but to start where you started, mm -hmm. to get to where you are now, mm -hmm. now from my point of view, I've done exactly that mm -hmm. with, with music, like in, in my bedroom at 16, but I don't have to put what I made in my bedroom at 16 in the world, mm -hmm. you know. I, I get to be born fully formed with the first song me and Pip did. No mm -hmm. one knew who I was at that, but I get to do the costumes mm -hmm. as the first thing anyone sees. Mm, cool. How does, how does it feel for you to be able to go back and see that evolution, but also realise that somebody who finds your channel today also gets to see that evolution? I guess that, it doesn't bother me all that much. Um, I mean, my, my early videos, uh, they don't get as many views now. The nature of YouTube is that once a video is out there, within the first few days, it gets 99% of the views it's ever yeah. going to get. And it's very, very few of my videos have, have suddenly discovered 
had a, like a big boost years later. It doesn't occasionally happen. They, they go like a perfect storm happens mm. and something you made three years ago goes viral again. But it doesn't really bother me all that much. Um, my early videos are like very low rent. The production value is very low. Um, the scripts, in many cases, I'm still like, okay, that's like not a bad little script I've got there. Um, and I actually like going back and seeing the journey and the progression. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes I'll go back and I'll see a video and I'm like, oh, I remember this because it wasn't one that I'm happy with or because I had a really bad day that day and I can mm. like see in my eyes that I'm not enjoying it, so it's painful to watch. I don't really mind all that much of my early stuff being out there. I do know creators who have a very different take on it. It's like seeing old pictures of yourself in a sense. Definitely. Like, I mean, it literally is. When I go back and watch my old stuff, I'm literally seeing an old old picture of myself. And <laughs> yeah. I look very, very different. And it's odd. Um, and in a way, my my opinions and how I approach what I make has changed a huge amount since, mm. since those early days as well. Because so I started off making videos. I thought of philosophy as like, it's this curiosity. And if you want to do it, it's fun. Now, having done a lot more of it and talked to a much wider range of people who do it, I realize that philosophy can be like life and death important and that it's not, mm. it's not just a weird game for nerds. Like it's, it's the reason when you're out there on the street, philosophy is the reason someone's like kicking your head in at a protest or whatever, or it's like the reason we're dropping bombs on this other country or, mm. or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, my early stuff, I, I go back and I watch it and I'm like, ooh, there's a, there's a carefree youth who doesn't know, <laughs> doesn't know what he's in for. Oh, there was God. a picture that was tweeted just a couple of days ago at the time of recording of, of a video I made the week before the Brexit referendum and the video I made last week. And <laughs> it looks so different. Part of it is a, is a beard and, and part of it is just the, the changes that drama school does to you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have, I have aged. I'm only 25. You're only 25. Yeah. You've, got, you've got so much more pain to come. <laughs> yeah, so much. It's really bad. I like... It's one of the things with Twitch, you get to talk to people mm -hmm. and like this often, often, I always feel really bad when someone's talking about like, I'm 20 years old and you know, this is what's going on in my life. And there's this bit in the back of my brain going, oh God, you've got a lot to come. This is, <laughs> this is, it's a dark path from here. <laughs> Just trying not to be that guy going, yeah. oh yeah, no, no, it gets worse. No, definitely, <laughs> definitely, it's going to be dark time. I look forward to that. <laughs> But it gets better as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's that uh, Boethius, the wheel, mm. you know. Is it Boethius? Oldie, oldie philosopher. And it's just a, about how life is a wheel and it, you're always either on the descent or ascendancy of oh, good okay, and cool. bad times. Um, and I only know that because of a movie called 24 Hour Party People <laughs> and a, a tramp shouts the Boethius quote at Steve Coogan so you know yeah. a bit of philosophy in uh, modern cinema um, actually that sort of leads to mm, how do I I, th I thought I had a segue but I don't so this just go blunt with no segue to uh, Heigl was a racist now what I mean is how you make a lot of videos where you, you talk about a philosopher a, a philosopher mm -hmm. and what they're known for, their, mm -hmm. their core idea. Say. Yeah. But halfway through most videos, you have to say, Heigl was a racist. You have to be aware of this. How do you separate the, the idea and, and the person? I guess mm, that's an interesting way of looking at it. So I, suppose, I, I don't always like, feel that I, I have to. Sometimes I'll make a video about Kant and I won't mention, for instance, that he, that he was a big racist. Um, 
but I I see part of what I do in the platform I has I have as an opportunity to bring people ideas that if you were studying philosophy at the university or in high school, this is the version that you wouldn't get. If I'm just reading out a philosophy high school textbook, then because the nature of what I do has changed so much because when I started out, nobody was doing that. But mm. now you can throw a stone in the digital woods and you will hit 10 YouTubers summarizing Plato, right? So what I try and do is, is give you the version of, of Plato that you're not going to get in school or, or at university. Um, so I, I made a video called, um, Is Philosophy Just White Guys Jerking Off? Which was all about Kant and his racism um, and whether we really can separate that from his mm. moral philosophy. Because once you know the specific ways in which Kant was a racist, it really changes how you read his philosophy. And the, the question is, well, does that matter? Can, should we separate it or should we not? Is that even possible? Um, so I guess sometimes I, I try to separate it or just because there's like not time to go into, uh, if we're talking about an idea from, from Locke or whatever, there's not mm. time to go into the fact that he owned shares in the Royal Africa Company or something. Um, or if I'm talking about John Stuart Mill, I, I in the Brexit video I mentioned Mill uh, briefly and I mentioned his thoughts on India, but you know I don't really go into all the nuances of his, his views on slavery, for instance. Was he the the one that thought that Indians could run India, he, but only once we taught them how to do it? Only once we taught them how to do it quite properly. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He was he was an interesting interesting guy, Mill, full of contradictions. Um, but yeah, so sometimes I try and separate it, and sometimes it ends up separate just for sort of time reasons. Um, but as I say, like what I try and do is give you the, the philosophy version that you're not you're not going to get mm. at school, because um, otherwise, like you you know, people are intelligent; they could go and buy an introductory philosophy book if they wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now I try and not just in content, but in terms of the form as well, try and go. What what is the video that only I can make that nobody else can do? Mm. How does that? So obviously, there's this this idea in a sense that although someone has views that we would now see as abhorrent, we can still pick through and find the the, the value in other things they said. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that now and again we have modern racists that we should be listening to? Or do we now, because that racism is unacceptable, we can discount what they're saying? So that's very much what my video on Steve Bannon was about. <coughs> um, I did a video about Steve Bannon and I, I tried to find the things that he says which are true, um, of which there are a handful, and then say, okay, here's, here's where he's starting out from, which is not necessarily a bad place. Here is where he ends up, which obviously is. Here's how he gets there, and here's how you can take the good stuff and mm. leave the bad stuff as well. Um, so I think... It's not really what I do per se all that much, but there are definitely channels out there who will do that sort of thing, who will engage uh, with the ideas of, of very right-wing people and say, okay, here's what's... I kind of flirted with that in the Steve Bannon video, but there are people who do that much more as a mission than I do. It's a, it's a subject that I find really difficult mm. because it just keeps happening with music. You mm. know, obviously, we've got Michael at the moment, yeah. um, Mr. Jackson, like... Yeah how we the music's good mm. like the music is really good but i've not been able to listen to michael jackson for more than a decade mm -hmm. um because of uh because of the child abuse mm -hmm. to be blunt there was an article that john niven wrote in 2009 john niven the guy who wrote kill your friends and mm -hmm. stuff 
um, that went into some of the court um, documents, like things that were actually agreed to by Jackson's lawyers. And it's like, okay, no, no, yeah, he, he definitely did a lot wrong. Right. And I, I put that aside. But then at the same time, there's like, I find it difficult because mm. does that take away from the beauty of what someone's created mm-hmm. that they're inherently, not inherently, ultimately a bad yeah. person? I think it's interesting. It's, I think there's almost two different versions of that question between art and philosophy. Because I can see somebody making an argument that what Jackson did in his private life didn't affect the music at all. Mm. Um, I can see somebody making that argument. I haven't sort of run it through, so I don't know whether that's true. Maybe somebody could argue the other way as well. Whereas with somebody like Kant, um, his racism and the like very detailed, specific thing, he wrote it all down. Like he's like a big old, a big old theory of racism. Uh, he, he wasn't just kind of being racist down the pub. He like wrote books about the specific ways in which he was racist. It really affects his philosophy. It like really overlaps with a lot of mm. his ideas. Um, and part of that is like, I, I don't think, for instance, that we should just cancel Kant and say that like, nobody mm. should ever read him, big racist, no, no, no. Um, I actually think that by realizing the ways in which he is limited by that, you open up new ways of thinking about him and mm. new, new directions in which to take his ideas. I suppose um, philosophy is one of the scientists, the sciences, mm-hmm. soft sciences, if you want to... Queen of the sciences. Queen of the sciences. As they, as they used to say, and the some soft, still do. The, the soft vagina of the <laughs> sciences. But it is one of the sciences where what's provably, not provably, not that anything's provable, but something that is agreed to be wrong is still instructive. Definitely. You know. Yeah. Well, is, I mean, there's, there's a certain degree of overlap with that in science as well. Like... um. Uh, I remember when I was uh, taught the structure of the atom, they they teach you the history of the theories that were wrong. Mm. When I when I did like uh, chemistry A level, they were like, okay, they started off with the plum pudding model mm. of atoms, and then then they they tested it by doing this experiment with bouncing something off gold foil or something. I seem to remember, and then they figured out actually most of an atom is empty space, and they changed it. So I think in science as well, there's there's a failure is instructive too mm. and definitely like in art and creativity I, I never got the plum pudding one but oh. uh, my physics teacher mm. was very aggressive they used to they used to think that an atom was was a, was a big old chunk of positive charge and then it had little sort of currents of negative charge like like currents in a plum pudding mm. um, and then somebody did a test they like fired i think it was photons uh through something and then they found out that, that most of them just went straight through. So they're like, oh, well, if, if it's not like bouncing off anything, then it must be like mostly empty space. Mm. And that's how, that's how we understand now that an atom is mainly empty space. I felt like we, uh, someone, someone was saying to me the other day about, about photons when they're leaving the sun. Mm. Like it takes however many minutes to get mm-hmm. from the sun to here, mm. but it takes them a million years to get out of the core of the sun. <laughs> To the surface, Whoa. because they, they're just bouncing off so much shit. They yeah. just there's so much to get out of the sun. It mm-hmm. just takes them that long to yeah. luck their way out. Yeah. Which I just thought, like, okay, this light falling off on us is millions of years old. Mm. Technically, it's mm. like it's actually pretty fucking cool, man. Yeah, it's wild. Although, depending on who you ask, uh, the Earth's flat, and and yeah, you know, that that you've done video, you've. I did a video about flat Earth theory, and then yeah, and then H bomber guy, my friend Harry. Um, <laughs> Reference, uh, and yeah, now yes, he did okay. a, he did a video about flat Earth theory, which referenced mine. The skit from that is going to yeah. take 
<laughs> it's going to take somewhere. You do a, a video about royalty, which yes. we're going to talk. I, I actually have questions about. Okay. Um, <laughs> which you end with yourself in a private moment with a bottle of HB sauce. Oh, that's that's more or less at the midpoint of the video. Um, is is that uh, halfway? Yeah, pretty much. Great. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and Harry um, comes in and finds me. Um, and he, it was his idea actually, he wanted to do, because a lot of YouTubers will collaborate when they appear in each other's mm. videos, and he wanted to do something where we didn't really collaborate, but just for a second, the two videos we make run in parallel. Yeah. So if you watch my video, uh, Why Does Britain Still Have a Queen, you will see Harry burst into this room that we're recording in actually, mm. um, and find me covering my face in HP source for reasons that make sense within the context of my video. And then if you go and watch his video on Flat Earth, he says, I'm gonna to go to London and find Ollie and ask him what he thinks yeah. about this. And you see he comes down on the train and you see the whole scene, but from the other point of view, mm. you see him come in and see me with sauce on my face and then leave. The weird thing about that, he's wearing a, like a, a mask sort of butter, yeah, butter as, a, shirt. as a priest of Sobek, yes, yeah. the, the, the Lord of Sperm. But if he hadn't been wearing the mask, I don't think that bit would have been funny. It would have just been odd. Mm. But just because he, <laughs> you're both at that moment saying, in, in my eyes at least, <laughs> what we do is ridiculous. You've thought about this a lot more than I think I either have, of us did. We just thought this would be hilarious. <laughs> to me, it was just like, yeah. there, there was a, a surreal moment of like, we make things on the internet. Yeah. Yes. You know, and it's of awful. like, and we get to do this and mm. we enjoy it. Yeah. What? And then move on. I had already filmed the scene of me putting sauce on my face and I actually reshot it uh, with him for that. Yeah, so my, it, it was already done. And he had this idea of let's cross over in parallel. And I said, I know exactly the moment in Vibe video where, that you need to come in on. It's going to be the, the bit where I have HP sauce on my face. The um, uh, which really stings your eyes, by the way. One of the yes. main ingredients is vinegar. That really I've, I've stung. Had, I've had most condiments in my face at some point or okay. other in life, and yeah, we used to, me and my brothers used to do like just drinks of like anything in the kitchen. Yeah, like making like concoctions. But yeah, then yeah. As, as the youngest, <laughs> yeah, be my daughter to, to drink it. Yeah. Oh God! I was the youngest two, the youngest of three. I, I remember that game. <laughs> I used to believe in ghosts because of one of those drinks. Really? Yeah. So we lived on uh, Victoria Road in Stamfordly Hope. These mm -hmm. old kind of terraces, and uh, my brothers made me drink this concoction that had everything in it. Mm. And it was that day, like just just like twenty minutes after vomiting profusely for yeah. twenty minutes. I looked out of our kitchen window and I saw our dead dog like Whoa. running in the garden. And uh, yeah, I was fucking adamant. Until like my late teens, I was like yeah. properly, no, I saw a ghost. I yeah. saw a and it wasn't until um, I'd got really, really drunk. And then the next day spent a lot of time vomiting. And then walking around the house, I, it was like, my furniture was like sliding around yeah. and everything. I was like, oh, did, do I just hallucinate after vomiting profusely? Oh, oh. That's an interesting thing to discover about yourself. I don't, oh, my dog's not a ghost. Oh. And then I was just sad for the rest of the day. Oh. This is apropos of, uh, of nothing, but a mate of mine is actually a paranormal investigator. Mm. Um, and he says seven times out of 10, the cause is carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning are like, oh, I get like a, re a, like a pressing feeling on my mm. chest in this room. I get like headaches, I feel really oppressive, or like audio visual hallucinations. Yeah, mm. seven times out of 10, carbon monoxide poisoning. And he says a lot of people like you are quite sad when he comes around with the detector and he's like, when yeah, he... you need to have this gas leak fixed because yeah. they well, want it to be grandma or whatever. Oh yeah, like, uh, like that. 
and, and, and it's not just like that idea that grandma gets to live on. There's also mm. that bit that, oh, maybe I'll get to live on. Yeah. You know? It's like, actually, no, you, you need to move out of your house for two days while the gas company fixes it. Because <laughs> I, I, I've had this conversation before about um, atheism, because mm. I'm an atheist. And someone said, but why would you choose not to believe in everlasting life? It's like, oh, this is a good point. Like, yeah. But if there is a God, he's going to know I'm faking it. So yeah, I'm just, yeah. just going to stick, be honest. I think he thinks yeah, honesty is important know, as yeah. well. So there's a, there's a church in Newcastle, Newcastle Cathedral, actually, and I passed it a while ago. And they had a, there's a sign up with some, something like um, cake and biscuits on Sundays. Mm. And I was like, if the promise of eternal life isn't enough to get me in the door, <laughs> then cake and biscuits isn't going to cut it. Like <laughs> When I was a student, Sunday morning, Reading Town Centre, there's a church right on the corner uh, that's an alpha course, mm-hmm. which is one of the slightly more aggressive... Com- uh, I wanted to call it conversion then, but you know, mm-hmm. it's a more aggressive form of preaching. But they do coffee and cake mm-hmm. every Sunday morning. The amount of... Times that that was my Sunday morning, just really? just eating a lot of cake, listening, drinking as much tea as I could, yeah. and being like, I hope I hope they're not indoctrinating me. <laughs> there's a there's oh, a another sugar though, please thanks. <laughs> there's another sign outside the church in Newcastle which I love, which says a uh, the tune of finally signed Jesus. He's great on the cross and he's taken us up, <laughs> which I love. I laugh every time I see it. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, Newcastle, you you don't really have a Geordie accent. Like no, I don't. saying Newcastle was the first time I've really yeah Newcastle heard it. yeah yeah, yeah it's because my mum's from Yorkshire and my dad's from Bristol, so I didn't oh, have a okay. didn't have so a you... wasn't Geordie accents at home, so I just yeah grew up like this. But you've got a fairly received pronunciation. It's I guess very yeah. clean. Is that from the acting? Is that um, I think the acting has probably helped with it, and living in the South for years has probably helped. You, and listeners now with eagle ears will be able to uh, discern that my voice is now on the train and getting further up north. I'm getting defensive about it now. <laughs> um, so I'm slowly getting more and more northern as the podcast continues. Um, but yeah, I'm, part of it's drama school and, and part of it's just, just my upbringing, I guess. Does it help? With... Your, so you're, you're talking about lofty uh, subjects. Does, does having a more received pronunciation give you that air of, yeah, authority? Do you feel like if you'd had a Ouija, like Glasgow accent, you would have got to it? Would you be paying your rent now if you'd sounded like a commoner? Like, uh, like me? <laughs> I don't know. I don't so, know. fucking can't, right? Can't. It's a fucking... <laughs> fucking can't. Um, maybe. I don't know. I, I definitely think... Because I have a lot of America, my, my biggest audience is in America, and having a British accent in America like definitely helps. Mm. Like, like like Christopher Hitchens' whole career, right, is yeah, yeah. is being the guy who says like intellectual sounding things in a British accent. So it does definitely help. Um, but then you've other got you've got YouTubers like Sean who has a very pronounced Northern accent who does mm-hmm. who does very it's well. Liverpool, isn't he? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, who who knows? Maybe if maybe if I'd had like a really thick Geordie accent, I, it would have gone in a different direction. But definitely, I think things like that help. Um, I think being uh, being British, being a man, being white, being uh, like tall. You've, you've kind of won the, the yeah genetic lottery 
of yeah. entitlement. Right With the there. exception of, of my eyesight. Yes. <laughs> With your yeah, eyesight. In terms of social privilege, yeah, I've got like a pretty pretty much a royal flush there. Yeah, I, I whenever I ever talked about this, is the the only thing that uh, I didn't get was the class because I'm working class. That was the only thing I missed out on. Mm-hmm. I've got the I'm cisgendered, I'm white male mm-hmm. in the West. Yeah. Can I say? Yep. You know, I, I'm winning. And uh, yeah, no one can take that away from me. So there, so there, women. Yeah, <laughs> I told you. I'm the patriarchy. Come get me. No, no, genuinely, come get me. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm a lonely man. Um. By the way, listeners, you won't be able to uh, realize this, but um, something that's happened multiple times now is when we talk directly to you and not to each other, we're both looking at the recording device as yeah. if you're somehow inside it, which I just yeah. thought this is a really cute habit we both have. It's a thing. So when I stream on Twitch, I talk, when I talk to chat, I talk to the camera. Yeah. But when I'm on my phone and in my, on that chair, I just talk, I'm talking to my girlfriend on the phone. I'm just talking into the camera. It's not on. She can't see me, but I'm just have to have to do the whole thing. Interesting. Really. It's just, it's become a thing. Twitch, um, you're just narrating Mm -hmm. 90% of the time. I, I don't have a big enough channel where chat is. Mm-hmm. that busy so you might spend five minutes when no one says anything so mm-hmm. you're just narrating problem with that is i now walk around tesco's and i'm going oh should we get the barista oat milk chat <laughs> out loud in, in tesco oh you know oh look, reduced pesto chat and it's just like to the point where i've now called my oat my girlfriend has been called chat my mum has been called chat wow. it's just become like yeah. Like I'm saying like, like is a vocal tick I have, mm-hmm. which everyone will probably have complained to me by <laughs> now. But yeah, it's really odd how it's mm-hmm. just trained my brain. Mm-hmm. But after three years, I narrate everything. All mm-hmm. I need is a little bit of walking around music and I'd, I'd yeah, be a cartoon character at this point. I find that the uh, the ideal number for a live stream for me is about is about 500, any, any more than that. Mm. And it starts to get really busy and the, the chat just kind of blows up. I've done live streams where there's like 2,000 people in the audience and it's just, just a lot. Yeah, I have a, a couple of friends who have like girthy size streams and mm. it's, yeah, it's just beyond me how, yeah. like, how they do anything. Yeah. How they, but, you know, it's it, it's a skill like any yeah. other, you yeah. know. You practice it. And I think that a, a lot of bigger streamers will have tools to, mm-hmm. like, um, I know there are tools your moderators can highlight questions for yeah. you to see yeah. and, and stuff like that. Um, I think there's a streamer called Co Carnage who, I don't know if he's done it yet, but he uh, was talking about eye tracking, mm-hmm. where so he where it would track where he was looking on his screen, so it would pull up that message in Ooh. chat and things like that, like tech. For doing things like that. Ooh, which... I don't know if I'd want that. No. Because but... sometimes you get people turning up in chat and it's useful to pretend that you have not seen oh. what they've said. <laughs> yeah, I did, did that yesterday. The very thing yesterday. Yeah. Just like, yeah, I see you. Yeah. I'm not going to respond to that. Don't bait me. Because yeah. I've, I'm, I've uh, recently stopped politics in my stream mm-hmm. because I, I get ranty. I, it's not that I don't want to talk about politics. It's just mm-hmm. that I don't want someone new coming in and feeling scared that the 
the big fat white man is getting angry at YouTubers or whatever. Yeah. Fucking Sargon of Akkad. He's drawing uh, You know, me just getting ragey. He's a lying liar that lies. <laughs> oh, hi. Hi. Thanks for the follow. Yeah. yeah. Welcome along. We don't always talk you know. about Carl of Swindon. Carl of Swindon. <laughs> oh. Let's uh, segue back to, you just mentioned the old bad eyesight. Mm-hmm. But your mum's a mutant. She is. My my mum is my mum is uh, CDA twenty nine is her scientific designation. She's even mentioned on Wikipedia. So she's got four color cones. Yes, um, she's got four color cones as, a, as opposed to uh, three, which most people have, uh, and she can use all four. There, some people have four and can't use the fourth. It's oh, just sort of sucks. vestigial. She is uh, well. Uh, her colleague, I believe, is a geneticist, um, and predicted that this person would exist. There would be somebody out there with the right combination of genes to have four colour codes and be able to use them. And she was just looking for more data. So she decided, she popped next door and said to my mum, would you mind just doing the test quickly mm. so we can have some data, you know. And my mum did it. And total coincidence, needle in the haystack, it was my mum. She was, I, <laughs> I think she's still the only person in the world to be identified. Just, just the one? I believe so far, I think. Um, but she is now immortalised in science as CDA29. She sees... Several million more shades of colour than any, anybody else in the world. You get more greens, though. I get more greens, yeah. Which um, I might get fewer reds, I don't know. My partner was really excited about because she, she likes seafoam green. Mm. And she just feels like if she had more greens in her life, it would, mm. it would make it. Well, I don't know. Um, it's a difference, of course, because I've, exactly. I've seen it all my life. I was, it was a really odd thing because I saw you mentioned that in... Uh, an older video, a I Very think. old video. You must yeah. have been watching my channel a long time if you've seen that. I'm self-employed, mate. What, <laughs> you watch a lot of YouTube. What do you, what do you think? I just, <laughs> I'm not paying for Netflix. <laughs> I do pay for Netflix. But um, no, it's, but it was fascinating because it is one of those it, bit of philosophy that I think we <laughs> have, maybe in our teens or whatever, like that realisation that what I see and yeah, you see... Yeah. We agree is the same, but have no way of knowing. Yeah, it. classic bit of pub philosophy is what if you yeah. see different colours than me. And in my case, it's true, I really do. But yeah, which is like, <laughs> must be really prove it as like, well. I am proof. Yeah. But um, it is an odd thing. Like, I think we don't, people just don't realise that so much of their life is philosophy. So much is the way in which we talk, especially when we have those ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the Matrix is old philosophy yeah. that movie is just brain in the jar yeah from, from what the 1920s was that i can't remember yeah it's, it's, it's ancient i mean it goes about all the way back to descartes like yeah. 17th century am i just dreaming or is this real life um but philosophy needn't necessarily be like that Sorry, i just think of queen <laughs> yeah, just yeah. immediately like freddie mercury was in my head <laughs> is this the real life way or is it just fantasy yeah um well it's interesting you bring up the matrix a film made by two trans women mm, um, mm. because my video uh, uh transphobia and analysis um, is all about what we were saying earlier on, like philosophy can be life and death. The metaphysical question of who exists and in what manner they exist is absolutely, like literally life and death for trans people. And I cite the work of a philosopher called Talia Betcher, who very much says, hey, like this metaphysical question of who is, who is acknowledged to exist is central to our lives because people who don't exist don't have rights. Mm. From the, the point of view of like a cis white male, it sounds harsh, but whether someone gets to live as the gender they are, say, psychologically, or they feel they are, actually doesn't affect me. Yeah, like, that's fair. So, 
I get really angry when I see cis white men getting angry about it. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, no, no, it doesn't take anything away from you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hurt you in any way that this person is allowed to be happy, mm-hmm. is, is supported and given the opportunity to live the life that you've already got. And, and it's where I get angry isn't so much that I want to raise people up or protect people or anything like that. I just want the people who are doing down other groups to realise that it doesn't hurt you in any way. Yeah. So shut up <laughs> and do something else. Talk, talk to me about something else, you know? Mm. Oh, well, that's, know. that's one example. And then um, another way that philosophy can be sort of very life and death important is something like uh, the Me Too movement mm. is... is I, I see that and I think of epistemology, like who is allowed to have knowledge, whose knowledge and testimony is allowed to count. Um, so these, these are all like ways in which philosophy can, can really be relevant to, to right now and isn't just something abstract like brain in a vat or do mm. you see different colours than me, but is like actually changing the way people think like very much right now. And that, that um, who is allowed to have knowledge, like it, it, with the Me Too movement, always comes through, I really notice it in the fake apology that comes afterwards, mm-hmm. that the non-apology that that a Louis C.K. will make or whatever, that still doesn't accept that what they, A, did was probably wrong, mm-hmm. and B, that the person saying they did it wrong has a right to express that. It's, yeah. it's like that disconnect is so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Like, Louis C.K. is a very funny man. Like, genuinely, tears of laughter. When he's talking about... Um, it sounds gross, but having to wipe poop out of his daughter's vagina is it's like painful laughter because it's the way you get to that point. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, <laughs> he trapped people in rooms and wanked at them. Yeah. Like when you apologize for that, you say, I'm genuinely sorry for trapping you in a room and yeah. wanked at you. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah, I've done some big stuff in my life, yeah. uh, movies and all that. And, yeah. uh, some people might think yeah. <laughs> trapping you in a room wanking you is wrong. There's, but... a, there's a big difference between I'm sorry if I hurt you and I'm sorry that I hurt you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry you think. No, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. Just, you don't realise what we, we've done, do you? Yeah. You can just do a full stop there. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's fine. Just, mm. I'm sorry. Shouldn't have done that. Mm. So weird. We sort of just talked random nonsense, which is actually really good, but... It's my whole job. It is, but it's really weird. Like you're harder to research than other people because other people's work is this enclosed thing. When um, Mike Bithell made Thomas Was Alone, he's writing a story about friendship and social dynamics, mm-hmm. and it's nice. Dunk. It's yeah. you know, and we get to talk about that, but then we get to talk about the silly side stories of mm-hmm. him hitting up Danny Wallace to do the voiceover while he was drunk on Twitter and yeah. apparently Danny Wallace was drunk at the other end and <laughs> we get that little thing. I love those moments. But when I talk to you about your work, it's like, oh, okay, there's this. And then it goes spiral, bigger, bigger, bigger into this entire world of, of the entire world. Yeah. <laughs> Which, how do you choose where to start? Like, okay, you, your Brexit video, like, obviously that's timing. Mm-hmm. That, that's probably part of the decision yeah. that's coming yeah, yeah. up. But 
where do you where do you begin when the subjects are so big how do you pass that down to something when you're doing a 10 minute 20 minute 30 minute video mm -hmm. i guess um i often you I'll, didn't I'll, think I was going to get to a point there, but I did it. I did it. No, no, I, I knew it was going. Okay, I, this is I one didn't of the only think questions I was I've... going to get to the point. <laughs> <there>. <laughs> uh, I guess I will often. I'll often start with something that I'm uh, that I'm just curious about or interested in, or a question that I have. Uh, so my next video is uh, it's going to be about like good and evil and mm -hmm. uh, moral relativism versus sort of objective morality. Um, and I will. I've got a big Google Doc where I'll read loads and loads of sources and I'll make notes on them and gradually themes will start to emerge or things that I'm curious about will begin to emerge. And then I, at some stage I have to say, I've done enough research and I sit down and I distill it into um, a script. And sometimes that script ends up coming out very, very different. So mm. my video, um, Transphobia and Analysis, that went through multiple different versions. It started out, it was gonna be about ancient Greek stoicism. And then I was like, oh no, stoicism's not enough. It needs to be about skepticism, a different philosophical movement. And then, I, and then as I was writing that, it was going to be about like YouTube skeptics, YouTube atheists, mm -hmm. like our dear friend, Carl, friend of the podcast, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then as I was writing that, the section about transphobia and how that's a kind of metaphysical skepticism was going to be one tiny section of it. And then as I was researching that, I was like, actually, no, this, this is, is the a, video. This yeah. is the video. It needs to be about this. Um, and once I realized that, I was like, okay, I need to hire script consultants and the rest of it sort of took off from there. So it often starts, I start big and get smaller. Um, and often I get smaller and then go, no, and then go back, go out again and then come in again. Um, but it's mainly just, I try to follow the curiosity and, and the joy. The Brexit one, I knew I needed to do a video about Brexit. And part of me was like, maybe I should, just shouldn't. Um, but then I was like, actually, no, there's some interesting things here about like what democracy is and why, why people like it and what are yeah. the pros and cons of it. And it, it's very, it's not a, uh... Uh, I feel like if I someone said, hey, Dan, make a video about Brexit today, um, it would be, told you so. That would be it. Just me yeah. going, told yeah. you. Um, but you, you put balance. It, it does feel balanced. I know yeah. you. any biases are put right on the table so that people can uh, take that with a grain of salt or whatever. Yeah. But it, I don't know, it's just fascinating, like, uh, if I'm making music, I have the uh, tyranny of the default. I open to a blank page. Uh -huh. and there's someone there. Yeah. Do, uh, they... do you want to? Should we cut? Hannah, you want to? Do you need to come in? Sorry, guys, That's all right. No. That's fine. Right. No, that's all right. Yeah, it's just that one on the table there. Which? I'm so this one right here. Oh, go for it. Sorry, go for it. Guys. That's all right. Who was that? That's that's my flatmate Hannah. <laughs> so that was Hannah. She had to get a folder. So you remember in episode two where that guy came in for uh, those weird little <laughs> snacks? That's a similar situation. Hannah's my flatmate and a, and a professional actor and a wonderful person. And a, a folder owner. And a folder and owner of folders, yeah. <laughs> what was it? We're talking about Brexit. So, uh, yeah, the tyranny of the default. Mm -hmm. So, like, I open my, my music creation software and it's blank. That blank page mm -hmm. staring at me. But there's only so many paths that I can go. Mm -hmm. I, what I'm trying to get at is because philosophy is such a big subject, mm -hmm. does that, is that easier because you can go with so many routes like you just described that you started mm -hmm. in one place and then yeah. ended up with that transphobia video mm -hmm. or is it just so intimidating because of the scale? Yeah. 
because you're you're dealing with thousands of pounds, pounds, years, thousands of years worth of and thousands work. of pounds worth of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it can be. But one of the most useful things I learned at drama school was um, if you've got a big creative project like that and it is intimidating to start, the phrase they used was "give yourself permission to start in the middle." So I very often find writing the opening of a video the hardest bit because it has mm. to grab the attention and you've got to get someone involved. So I start in the middle. I start with like part two. Mm. Uh, so I know I want there to be this section on, for instance, meta ethics. My video I'm writing uh, right now, uh, I know there's going to be a big section in the middle about like morality and what it is. So I just wrote that bit first. Mm. And then I'm like, okay, maybe I can like work out to either end from the middle. Um, so I guess just giving yourself permission to start from a different place is how I deal with that sort of tyranny of the, of the void. Mm. All right, electronic music listeners, maybe that's how we do it anyway, mm. but maybe not a middle as in the time itself, mm -hmm. but middle as in layers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Starting with the drums first and then moving out from there. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, I've got it. Creativity is easy. It's been it's really easy. interesting how going to drama school and training as a professional actor has changed how I'd approach YouTube. Mm. It's been it's been really, really interesting because um, it helps with live streams, obviously, because like for me, a live stream is a show. Like, yeah, yeah. It's great. I love live shows. I have uh, friends who live stream and find it sort of quite anxious. And, and you know, I've, I've had live streams that have been better than others. But um, for me, I'm kind of used to that sort of thing. And even live meetups in person. I did a, I did a meetup in um, America with another creator a while ago, and we got like 120 people turn up. Mm. And, and, and for them, they sort of weren't used to dealing with that big of an audience live. But I love that stuff. Mm. Like, I'm like, brilliant, it's a show. Like, yeah, yeah. I can absolutely hold a conversation with 120 people at the same time. And I can be on my feet all afternoon and talk and, and not get tired because that's what I was trained to do. Mm. Um, and it also like, really impacts the way I think about things like truth and authenticity, which are things that YouTubers worry about a lot, um, which is why I made that whole video about that, that mm. very subject. So it has been really interesting how it's impacted my creative process as well. Uh, one of the big things has been um, at drama school, they, they, we did this exercise, this is so drama school, right? We did this exercise where uh, you get a canvas and you paint it for sort of two minutes and then you hand it on to the next person and you get somebody else's canvas mm -hmm. and you add something. And if you don't like what the, another person has done, you can put white paint over it. It makes it white again. And at the end of the day, we looked at all the canvases and the white paint had dried. And, and if you've ever done this, listeners, you'll know that if you put white paint over colored paint when it dries, you can kind of see through the white paint. Mm. And they said, okay, the lesson from this is when you're creating something, there will come a time when you have to like cut something, but it's never really cut. It's never really gone. You've just white painted it. Mm. Whatever steps you've taken to get to a place where you thought that was worth including, will remain and will impact the work. So often I'll you know, spend days researching an avenue for a video and then ultimately I'm like, okay, this isn't gonna make it in. Um, it, it's just not relevant or it's, it's too in-depth or it's not right. And I'll just white paint it. And mm. I, I feel okay about that because I don't feel like I'm cutting and taking anything away. I'm just like, okay, this isn't the particular shade that I wanna to bring to the foreground here. So it has, it has been really cool how like, yeah. cause I started making YouTube videos and did it for like three or four years before going to drama school mm -hmm. and then went and now it's really changed. Not just because it's got more acting in it, but because I approach creativity in a different way. The, um, the acting adds so much to, to the content. It, mm -hmm. it makes it like less YouTube. It makes it more like that this is content that someone, it's almost like commissioned content 
you know, like BBC, hey, we want a 10 minute video on, yeah. on this subject. Interesting you say that, because my video on the royal family, somebody said, um, this has big BBC energy. Mm. The way mm. I presented it. Yeah. We had that long shot of me in a field, like in a long coat, yeah, pacing yeah. towards the camera, talking about the history. With the horse. With the horse, yeah. And people were like, that's BBC, that's, you look like a BBC presenter. And I'm like, oh, I'm glad you say that, because that's actually what we were going for in that shot. Is, mm, you're a stage actor in the main. You've done some commercial stuff. You've done, yeah, I've you've done got short like, films and stuff. On, on your like voiceover. Showreel. Showreel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Page, there's a list of yeah. a lot of things. Pretty, but, even, pretty even mixed so far. But do you feel like YouTube is also, do you use that as a vehicle? Do you, like, I've got an opportunity where I can act here. Mm-hmm. This is, and it's definitely going to add to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So why the fuck not? Definitely. Like, yeah. I definitely I do. I'm, I'm especially more so lately with the videos, actually. Um, <laughs> like, part of, part of it is uh, the acting industry is in quite a bad way at the moment. <laughs> and I, I barely know anybody who's been given paid work in months. Because the whole the whole industry is just on its ass, um, so I was like, well, if I'm not going to get cast in stuff, I'm just going to cast myself in stuff. Yeah. If I, I I really want to be in uh, The Arsonists by Max Frisch, well, I'm going to write a dramatic monologue based on that and perform it in a video. Or mm. like, I really want to be in The Pillow Man, I'm not going to get cast in that, so I'm going to write a whole video that's inspired by The Pillow Man and be in it myself. Um, <laughs> which is which is the most fun bit. I love that about YouTube. Is like, I you know the door gets closed in your face with something like traditional media. And so uh, you you decide, I'm going to make my own thing. Like, um, So the summer that I started my YouTube channel, I applied for an internship with Private Eye, the magazine, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it. I got, a, I got a rejection email from Ian Hislop. And then I was like, well, and now I've got like three months of summer holiday with nothing to do. I'm going to make that YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. And because I got rejected from traditional media, I went into alternative media, and now I reach more people than Private Eye. Yeah. Which is astonishing. Which is crazy. So blame Ian Hislop. It's his fault. <laughs> Thank you, if you're listening, Ian. I know you're a big fan of the show. He, he's, he's very litigant, so just... Yeah, <laughs> he's, the, he's the most sued man in Britain, he's isn't he? the most sued. That's a good place to be, really. Yeah. I think I think yeah, if you're going to be the too. most something, most yeah. suited is probably a good one. But someday I'll I'll be on. Have I got news for you? Or I'll run into him or something. And I'll be like, Ian, <laughs> this is your. Do you remember me? This is your fault. <laughs> hmm. It's it's great though that I I call it commission content, but like it's like the BBC aren't going to pay for that to get made for BBC Two or whatever, yeah. you know. Yet you're getting more. You get to make something mm. that's getting seen more than ninety mm-hmm. percent of the stuff on cable. Yeah, you know, it's a nice thing that the world is in a place where mm. talent yet niche ideas can mm-hmm. come together and yeah. actually be presented. And although we live in a time where truth and 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 getting. <sighs> people to understand the nuance of an issue is very hard um at least there are places for voices to be heard yeah whereas you think where we'd be without social media in general yeah it's a really difficult time you know Mm -hmm. um the drawbacks are as equal to the positives sadly Mm -hmm. but carl um (laughs) friend of the show i shouldn't i shouldn't um but yeah, it's interesting to me. I don't know. It was just it was just odd because I talked to um, Matt Everett from Six Music, and mm-hmm. um, obviously he's he's done a lot of podcasts for Six Music, and he's like on the Breakfast Show and mm-hmm. things. So, but it, it, talking to him 
about what the BBC get to do mm -hmm. and the authority it gives him, mm -hmm. like where it, it puts him in the room, you know, he's sat down with every member of Radiohead and yeah. York and yeah. all this. this. These are things that your average YouTuber is not going to get the opportunity yeah. to do. Yeah, that's very true. But at the same time, he's pitched things that he knows he can do well, mm -hmm. that the BBC have said, yeah. yeah, it's not really... It's not BBC material. It's not yeah. big enough, in yeah. a sense. So it's like that that bit, neither, both ends get to do something that maybe the, yeah. the other end can't do, but mm -hmm. yeah. The the point at which legacy media and new media begin to cross over is, is very interesting. Um, I know, so it's funny you mentioned the BBC because a while ago they were looking for YouTubers for mm -hmm. a project uh, and, and I applied and they said, can you send us a 60 second uh, video explaining what you do? Um, and I said, well, not really, no. Like I have a YouTube channel with, you know, 300,000 subscribers. Here it is. Here's my best work. Here's me at my best. Yeah. And they said, no, can you, can you send us a, a 60 second video on your phone? And I was like, Ugh. and I figured out what was happening was that they were going to have to take all those 60 second videos into a boardroom and give them to somebody who makes the decision who has no idea what YouTube is. Mm -hmm. So they're looking for new media in quotes, but they want it to be looking like old media and in a form that they can understand and control. I'm like, well, okay, this is why this isn't going to work. Um, but yeah, and, and also it's interesting where, um, in particular journalism, so I, <laughs> I won't name them, but um, on three separate occasions in the last two months, I have been interviewed by uh, uh, like a magazine or a website mm -hmm. or like a journalism outlet. And the, the journalist themselves has been like very, very keen. Um, and then they've passed it on to the editor who's gone, what is this YouTube shit? I'm not printing it. I've never yeah. heard of this. Um, so it, it's interesting where those the kind of old media and legacy media intersect. And it's also very true for acting as well. A lot of people think, oh, like you've got this big YouTube channel that must really help with your acting. And I'm like, yeah. Mm. Uh, I have a friend who used to do casting for the RSC who was, a, who was a casting assistant, she was a big fan of my work, and she told me once, um, in casting and in theatre, and, and acting the, the capital I industry, as actors refer to it, um, a third of people know what YouTube is, a third have no idea what it is, and a third look at it with contempt. Mm. Um, and all the people with any kind of gatekeeping power are in those latter two thirds, who either don't know what it is or don't like it. Yeah. Um, I, I was actually chatting to um, uh, an agent from like a pretty big agency, yeah, in London at a party once, and I was like, you know, I've, you know, I'm an actor. I've got this YouTube channel with this big audience. I did a play at the Southwark Playhouse, which my fans sold out the entire theatre. Yeah, uh, and they were like, yeah, yeah, their eyes just glazed over, and I'm like, ah, like mm -hmm. Joe Sugg has just gone really far on Strictly. Like Tanya Burr has signed yeah. an agent and is on TV. Like, you, at some point, somebody's gonna cast like PewDiePie in Hamlet, and yeah. and then producers are gonna realise oh my God, this is the wave of the future and YouTubers are going to be in everything. But it's trying to like get through that door. It's, it's weird to bring up PewDiePie though because like some of the sort of uh, disdain towards YouTube is going to come from the yeah. sort of fudged news articles about the Logan Pauls, the yeah. PewDiePie's yeah, and they, stuff. They that, don't make us look good. But weirdly, yeah, and, and sort of rightfully so to some extent when you look deeper into them as people. Yeah, yeah, but, definitely. But also the journalistic language doesn't always understand what it's talking about. Mm -hmm. So it's this misunderstanding layered on top of misunderstanding mm -hmm. so that then this general opinion is that, oh, YouTube's just shit, isn't it? It's yeah. like, uh, you know, rather than seeing that, that YouTube is massive mm -hmm. and Very you have to look at it in its pieces. Like, mm -hmm. 
and like my dad's understanding of YouTube is completely different to mine. My yeah. dad's understanding of YouTube is technical um, how tos. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. even if he's not doing that thing, he will yeah. sit down and, all right, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah, it's, what, I like doing that. It's fun, yeah. isn't it? And that's his engagement with it. He mm. he would be shocked to know there's like politics. Yeah, left wing politics. Yeah, of that he'd yeah, yeah, be yeah. offended. <laughs> he confuses me because he's like. Pretty right wing, yet loves unions. Huh. He's, he's that thing. He's like, uh, he worked on the docks, Perfleet docks for years, so not that far from mm. from uh, wherever we are. It is actually far enough away to say not that far. Good, um, but yeah, he's like worked on the docks for years and stuff, so understands that idea of workers' rights yeah. and having an organisation at the same time. But yeah. but at the same time, he's like, well, we should be out of Europe. Why? Mm -hmm. Why, Dad? Don't know. Um, I've been told for for forty years we should be out of Europe. One of my uh, one of the moments <clears throat> where I was most proud of my uh, my brother, um, and and yeah, I just thought one of the moments where I most thought my brother was wonderful was um, we were at this quite posh party and uh, there was a knight there, like mm. Sir Philip, um, who was uh, Brexiteer, and he was saying, "Oh, you know, we need to get out of Europe. It's going to be great when we get out of Europe. There's all this uh, all this red tape." All these regulations, all these, all these rules that we don't need. And my brother went, name one. And he went, you know, all these, red, mm. all these regulations, red tape. And he's like, Sir Philip, name one. Name one rule that you disagree with that the EU imposes on this country. And he couldn't do it. Yeah. And my, I've never been more proud of my brother. I was like, brilliant. Like, you've just, I mean, yeah. it didn't affect the man at all. He blustered on regardless because that's they what do. he does. They do. But uh, not to paint all Brexiteers with that sort of uh, knightly brush, but... Um, I, I just thought it was a, an interesting moment. <laughs> mm. I yeah, it's my. I've I've talked about it before on the podcast and on Twitch. I, I talked about it a lot. Like my arguments be, before Brexit for remaining were actually never about Europe. They were about our country mm. and who runs our country. And it was just like, I don't. Do you know what? Ultimately, I don't care which way you want to go. It's like. Can you trust these people? Can you trust Boris to deliver this? And mm. it's like, to me, it was like a no-brainer. Like, why would anyone trust that guy? <laughs> he's literally, like, probably, but, you know. I have a just, personal gripe against him because he lives in... He lives in your house. <laughs> we were about to talk about this. This we'll we'll close we'll close on the not fact. this house listen he doesn't lurk it upstairs he <laughs> <laughs> came in and like it's morning I'm just going to do some cake that was him earlier on tea. getting the folder that was Boris yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, let's close on on royalty obviously I agree uh, Jeremy Corbyn wouldn't fuck the Queen mm -hmm. but that's a reference you're going to have to find out for yourselves listeners <laughs> but you are royalty. I'm in the presence of royal blood, at least. Uh, well, not even that, because it's not, it's not really oh. royal anymore. Once royal yeah. blood, then. So, l listeners, this is a, a reference to a video I, I made called Why Does Britain Still Have a Queen? Uh, in which I revealed that a distant ancestor of mine is, is Charles II, uh, who actually has, like, many, many descendants. That's fine. Yeah, and the, the, the kind of point of that video was that that's not actually not I'm a very special... I'm Khan, so, Brilliant. you know, yeah. I'm a legend. Um, exactly. So my, the point was like, it's not really all that special. And that video was, was kind of about what you were saying, like about British identity and who we are mm. as a country as well and the way we place uh, unusual stock in, in weird things like that. What you referenced there is that your ancestral home as such 
yeah. or what would have been. Yeah, what was my what was my family's ancestral home? Uh, I think some of them are still buried there. Uh, was lost in the 17th century because an ancestor of mine had uh, gambling debts, I think, and is now the official residence of the foreign secretary. So Boris Johnson lives in <laughs> Boris Johnson my ancestor's in house. house. <laughs> I don't know how I'd feel about that. I don't know how he'd feel about like some of the places I lived growing up, but. My ancestor lost it fair and square, really. I mean, I was just sort of joking around, really, in that video. Like, no, no, I know. He was but... also my ancestor. He was also a tool. Like, he, his wife, um, his wife left him for another woman. I find it funny that the the painting you use for her is mm. she's quite small. She's yeah. quite young. Yeah, there's probably is that and Fitzroy. Um, I think they married. I think she was somewhere between twelve and fourteen when they married, which was very unusual. Uh, for us, but probably more typical for them. For them, um, yeah. And he he was much older when they married. And then she went off and um, met yeah. a lady. She had an affair with um, uh, Hortense Mancini, who was one of the mistresses of Charles II, uh, interestingly, um, for which she was banished to a convent in Paris from whence she had an affair with Ralph Montague and escaped. So so my, my, my video is kind of about like, Yes, I have this connection to this royal ancestor, and but really, I don't find that all that special. It's not the royal family connection; it's the connection to this incredibly special, yeah, yeah. brave bisexual woman who lived this like fantastically <laughs> colourful life. She's my ancestor too. Um, and what I actually said in the video, but ended up getting cut, uh, was in the rushes. Was uh, I said I am the descendant both of cucks and those who cucked them. <laughs> the product of the the synthesis of the dialectic of cuckoldry is. <laughs> Um, and if yeah, cuckoldry is is a is a reference to being extremely online, which I hope you don't get, dear listeners. Um, we, anyone who knows me knows that I'm I'm in a cuckold relationship with my partner and her cat. Oh, okay. He cucks me so <laughs> like on the phone, like he's straight up, he's on her chest, purring. He's right there. His, <laughs> his face is closer to the mouth, mouth yeah. of my mic yeah. on the phone. He's just letting me know. Cat is the ball. Yeah. It's mine. It's mine. <laughs> Very jealous. And then cat. he just like prods her and dribbles. Yeah. Which is what cats do. Yeah. Need. Need. Snakes do a similar thing actually. Do they? Yeah, if you've had a snake snake round your neck. Um by the time this podcast comes out, my viewers will have seen my video with the snake. But my next one that I'm gonna film has a six foot four python in called Tigger, who and if you put a snake round your neck, they kinda of give you a little massage. It's quite nice. Weird. Yeah, it's great. He's, they're very friendly. So Dave, the cat, mm -hmm. he's, um, he weighs 20 pounds, which is what, getting close to a stone and a half. Mm -hmm. So he's got weight behind that it's massage. He's a big moggy. Yeah, he's uh, the, the brand. I, I always get the wrong word. I always say brand and I mean breed. Yeah. The breed is Maine Coon. Oh, I love they're, those. They're beasts. They yeah, it's a big like boy. Three stone or some stuff. I love Maine Coons. Yeah, he's great. He's got a snaggle tooth. Mm. I might use him as the image for the podcast instead of having <laughs> artwork, just have Dave's face. Yeah. He's special. Let's just end that there. Well, there you go. That was that. It was good. I enjoyed it. Abigail enjoyed it. Probably never talked to me again. She did. She did. Don't worry. That was a joke. She used gold teeth in one of her videos. It was very great. Um, but yeah, normally there'd be like plugs here and stuff. But as this is 2023, Dan, Dan of the future. Um, yeah, there's nothing to plug. You know, submerging artist is fully submerged at this point. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. 
hope you just have a nice life and time and generally all that good stuff you know good people exist you exist um i'll just let the music play out so it's the same length as it used to be and uh that's it i'm done peace This March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.